This episode's brought to you by everynowheremusic.com. Yep, you got that right. That's yours truly. So if this is an endeavor you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com. Every nowhere or every now here, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. So you're officially going from one end of the spectrum to another today's episode, in contrast to the last one, which is with the vice president of the German Music Council, who took us through a 40 plus year career in music, which was like a walk down European music history, really. Today's guest, though, is on the complete other side of the spectrum. One of the youngest debutants whose debut was this massive event, followed by an extremely unique set of challenges, not excluding the pandemic and all that it brought with it, but also a very interesting academic, systemic set of circumstances that has come under a lot of scrutiny and controversy since Madura is one of the most intelligent, talented singers in the Eastern Hemisphere, as many will tell you, and I've had the honor and privilege not just be a mentor for her in this past year she was one of the beta testers and research candidates for my academy the holistic musician academy but we're also soon to be collaborators more updates on that soon but like i always say the, the conversation speaks for itself and uh, before we head into it, this is a reminder that this is an independent show. If you want to support us, please go follow us on Spotify or Apple or any other platform where you listen to your podcasts um, and uh, leave us a review. Without much further ado, please welcome Madhura Tullery. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. I, I've actually been getting a lot of inquiries on why my podcast is still audio only. One of our major themes is uh, mental health. For, um, uh, right. And uh, well, screen time, I'm always banging on to people about how you want to watch out for screen time. And yet here I am doing a long form podcast, which I don't want to be having people watch for, I don't know, 90 minutes or something soon. Fair enough. Oh. I mean, I also feel like if there's video involved, then the attention might be able for the viewers or the listeners. Yeah, that speaks for you. Just uh, yeah. goes to show that you are a true musician at heart. Because uh, yeah. I actually had this conversation with someone recently as well, a podcast guest, a gentleman in his 70s. He's actually a super well-known personal trainer, but he uh, and he's been on multiple podcasts including the joe rogan show mm -hmm. oh wow yeah yeah steve maxwell so shout out at steve and thanks again for coming on and he talks about how it's always been slightly distracting for him to look into a window while speaking so right so i, I was just saying welcome mother thanks for doing this again no thank you for having me again now uh, i, I want to come clean and uh, expand a little about uh, the history of what happened here. You were on our show last year, and mm -hmm. for the first time in my life, this I am so freaking embarrassed to say this, but for <laughs> some freak of nature, I don't know what happened, but the recording actually got deleted. I have no idea. Till date, it's the kind of thing that gets me my head scratching. It is the <laughs> first and hopefully the last time it ever happens. And... Um, 
a part of me is really disappointed. Uh, I mean, more than anything in my producing skills, but um, <laughs> uh, and, and also uh, that conversation had a lot of gold in it. We touched yeah. on some really amazing topics. On the other hand, in the meantime, we've been hanging out a little more often, mm -hmm. gotten to know each other slightly better. So uh, hopefully, this will be a silver lining amidst the clouds, yeah. and uh, we were able to take off on a whole different level. So. Yes. Where are you? I agree. I am in Chennai. I, like I told you the last time we spoke, I moved houses <laughs> right. instead ah. of shifting. <laughs> yes. Okay. There's, there's, see, that, that's the kind of thing we could only talk about after one year of correspondence. Yeah, I'm always, <laughs> always getting confused about uh, the word shifting being used for moving houses in South Asian uh, English syntax. Because um, uh, for me, shifts always refer to some kind of major spiritual movements or something. Mm. That it's also referred to moving a house in India. Yes, but ever since you pointed this out to me, I've not been able to use shifting again. Like I keep saying moving houses now. And I feel like I'm the only person who does that now. Oh, shucks. I feel yeah. bad now. No, that's fine. It's it's For some reason, now it just sounds wrong to me because no much you made it sound like that it's only an Indian thing, I feel. But now I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to use it anymore. So... I am wondering though, I mean, I only know of it being used in India, but I don't know. I mean, I sh probably shouldn't claim that no one else uses it. Oh. I've just never heard it used um, anywhere else. Neither have, neither have I, which is why I, I, I suddenly started thinking. I was like, oh, right. Since the last time we've talked, you've gotten into home music production. Kinda, yes. Yeah, I I have started off. Nice. I also am like writing a song with a friend of mine. So there's that also in the works. Awesome. Tiny little things. And there's so many other things as well. I, I've started doing the music therapy course. Mm. Um, so that's, I'm going to start interning in September. Also, I've joined a Korean uh, language class. So now I can get certified for my, because I've just learned it on my own. Wow. So once I get certified, I can also like be an interpreter. Wow. So I'm doing that as well. Yeah. It is amazing that you speak Korean and uh, that is such an interesting language to kind of dive into. Yeah, Korea is definitely like a major player in the music industry radar currently. Mm -hmm. It's so evident to see. Yeah. Um, but before I go about rambling, let's do a bit of a rewind from my audiences to uh, mm -hmm. introduce you. Right. Them. How would you best describe yourself, Mother? Sorry, I totally put you on the spot there. With <laughs> right, um, I'm a singer mm -hmm. who's trained in Indian classical music, mm -hmm. um, both Hindustani and Carnatic. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also just started out uh, writing songs, so like writing in general. So I, I'm I'm an aspiring singer songwriter as well. Amazing. And I also teach music. I teach Carnatic music. Amazing. So that's how I would describe myself off the top of my head. I feel like I'm missing out on a few things, but yeah, that's that's the gist yeah. of it. It's, it's always <laughs> so difficult to describe one's own artistic persona. So let me try and yeah. help you out. You kind of shot onto the South Asian music scene by making... Um, well, honestly, a massive debut as a singer, didn't you? Yes, I did. You went straight to the top and you made your debut as a singer for Mr. A.R. Rahman. So for my non-Indian listeners, that's like as big as it gets in, in, in the Indian music <laughs> industry or even, or even globally. There's a 
Oscar slash Grammy award winning music composer who's like like rightfully an iconic figure in the music industry um, in India and uh, also the founder of the KM Conservatory where I'm guest as faculty. And you were 20 when you did this, 20, 21? 21. Yeah, which is like pretty huge. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty big deal and it was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it's it's also an age which is it's like twenty one is a milestone. I'm just to clarify, I'm I'm the last person to encourage ageism in any form. Personally, I think it's <laughs> as bad as racism or casteism. It's just this day in, in this day and age, it just makes no sense. Uh, you know, you know, your age it's a, such a partial representation of who we are. But uh, the, I mean, there's still social connotations of turning twenty one. I mean, certain countries. That's when you're actually considered an adult, uh, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And um, for most of us, um, it's an age where we're just about coming to grips with dealing with adult life. And you went and shot up to fame, making a massive <laughs> debut like that. Shall we start there? How did that come around? Um, so I prefer got... to rewind a little more to how you started off with music, whichever you prefer, whichever you feel is the better route to take for the journey. Right. I think I'll just start off with a little bit of backstory and then uh, yeah, come yeah, here. Yeah, go for it. So I've been training in Hindustani classical music ever since my childhood, like since I was five or six. Mm-hmm. And uh, after finishing my high school, I applied to Kalakshetra to study Carnatic music. I mean, originally the plan was to study history and go into archaeology. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> That was the original plan. And I thought I'll I'll keep doing music on the side. But my dad suggested that, you know, you should apply to this place. And I also trained in Bharatanatyam. So my dance teacher was not there. Yes. Multifaceted much. (laughs) So, yeah. So I only heard of it from my dance teacher because she was an alumni. But uh, I didn't know that it had a um, music department as well. So I applied, I gave the interview, got in, and then I just decided, okay, that's the route I was supposed to take. I took a leap of faith, so to say. Mm -hmm. And um, it was pretty different from everything that I had been used to. I grew up in Delhi, Gurgaon, so like a a very different cultural and like a kind of people I was around, the kind of values, et cetera, et cetera. I got to know like two, three weeks before I had to, like the first day of college that, you know, we had to wear saris every day and that it was a very traditional place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know. Mm. I didn't realize it would be saris and that itself was like a huge shock to me. I was like, oh, okay. So then I remember my parents and I just running around last minute purchasing saris and stitching blouses and all of that. And then I joined college and um, I feel like, the whole Kalakshetra life of mine is a separate chapter, which needs to be dissected in a, in a different subtopic. Mm-hmm. But I did. So Kalakshetra was my first understanding that, okay, music could be a career. And, right. um, but in the first two years, it was just that, okay, as a Karnatic or a Hindustani uh, musician, like a performer, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was all that I had thought it was. Then um, a, a batchmate from my Hindustani class back home uh, told me about how, how he'd gone to a summer program in Berkeley. And so I applied, I got in and um, I got a scholarship. And then I went in 2018 um, right. to Boston to start for a summer program. 
Before you proceed with how Berkeley was, though, may, with your permission, may I rewind mm -hmm. a little bit of a couple of questions that can't help but pop up? Of course. To start off with, you say you started singing at five or six. That is extraordinarily young to start a music practice in. Yes. What was that like? Um, so this is what my mom told me, that the reason she put me in music class way back then was because I apparently used to sing nursery rhymes and everything in like a very, um, like the correct pitch and tempo and tone. Mm. And she said that that showed me that you had musical abilities. So I put Did, you in class. Is your mother a musician too? She, okay. yes, she sings, not a musician, like a trained musician, musician. She did like, you know, learn and she sings really well. All, my, all of my family does, my dad, my brother and my mom and I. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one who's taken it up professionally, but they all sing uh, recreationally. Right. Um, so my mom had been trained in Carnatic like her whole life as well. I think in the beginning, I was just tagging along with my brother because he was, he's three and a half years older than me. And we both were put to classes together and I was just, so he'd learn properly and I would just play around, you know, like in class being mischievous and stuff. But when it came to exams and stuff, I'd always like score really well or like sing really well. But mm -hmm. as I think I started growing older, I guess sometime about in eighth, ninth grade, I guess mm -hmm. I changed schools and I sort of became a little more serious, but this entire time, my entire life, like I wasn't, too keen on practice so I would like barely practice and I remember like my parents and my mom especially would like wake me up in the morning force me to sit and practice and I remember asking her I said why like what made you like not like not take this root key okay she doesn't want to do this so let's just not make her do it anymore mm -hmm. and the thing she told me was you never said no that I never said no to practice. I never said no to not being taken to class. Like I never expressed displeasure. I was just lazy to do practice. Mm -hmm. But once um, I sat down and I did it, I was, I was happy. So she said, if you would have said no to me, I would have stopped taking you. But my first teacher, I definitely remember. And uh, his classes I do. Like I don't think I remember the first day as such. Mm -hmm. But I do remember the initial sessions with my first ever teacher. May I ask you how they started up? How, how did they get a five or six-year-old kid to start taking quote-unquote formal singing lessons? How, how does that work? Um, I think it was because my brother was there and I, and I had a habit of following him, like, um, like doing whatever he did. Nice. So since he sat down, I also used to sit down. Mm. And singing was always fun. I, I always, always, like people didn't need to ask. Whatever I knew to sing, I'd always sing it. I was always like a chatterbox and like a, like I remember voluntarily singing wherever I went. That, But I think the challenge was back then for me to sit in one place. Because mm -hmm. I remember I used to, like my, my brother was singing, I'd go hide under the bed. And I remember <laughs> nice. my sir would ask me to come out of under the bed and sit down and sing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But what helped was neither my sir nor my brother nor my mom never like, forced me they didn't my, my brother didn't go and complain that mother was distracting me or my sir wouldn't complain that she's not sitting properly in class or whatever you know i had no reason to hate on the class it was just a fun place for me that is so cool that mad love with your teacher for uh, you know holding that space to let you just because i think one of the biggest tortures you can put a child through is to kind of ask them to sit still it's Brutal. Yes. You know, children yes. are not, I mean, human beings generally, we're not meant to sit still unless it's for a very specific purpose. 
Exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's the kind of thing that doesn't really get talked about enough. I mean, I'm all about movement and the connection to music as well, because one of the things I also advocate mm -hmm. is uh, the physical health for musicians. It's the kind of thing that uh, that's been so grossly misunderstood and misrepresented. That is lovely to hear that you're teacher really encouraged you to kind of integrate it in your life uh, yeah in, yeah in unrestricted manner keep going right so yeah and he used to come home so that he was my first ever teacher but as i grew older my mom started accompanying me to classes so after a while my brother stopped taking music classes with me because he mm -hmm. uh, would you know like focus on studying and he's like a very studious he was a very studious child as well he's doing phd in biology right now so that explains everything an academic Yes, an academic. So mm. he sort of um, stopped coming. But I remember being taken to classes like at six in the morning before my school started. So I'd have to wake up, get dressed for school mm. and then go to class with my mom. And she'd also, you know, like wake up and the amount of effort that they were putting really made me realize that, okay, you know, like music is being taken really seriously at home now. And uh, every day, every like thrice a week, actually, Tuesday, Thursdays and Saturdays after my school, she'd come pick me up, bring me packed lunch and we'd drive an hour. She'd make me eat. She'd make me sleep in the car so I could, you know, be awake and alert for class. And then I'll go sit in class, sit in class. And I had dance and music class back then. So one hour of dance and then post that music. So I would do that till like eight-ish and we'd again drive back home and I'd finish my homework and sleep off. That was like three days a week of, for like the next two years. Awesome. Uh, your parents also sound like antithesis to the quintessential South Asian parents. Yes. Definitely. It's usually the other way around. Mm -hmm. The child will have, show interest in music or the arts and eventually the parents will say, okay, enough with <laughs> fooling about with that now, just time to get a real job. And it sounds like it was exactly the other way around in your case. Yeah, it was. It was. I had it easy, I feel like, because I was never challenged even in my, wherever, whichever music class I was in. Um, the bare minimum I did sufficed. I, I would get good marks. I would be appreciated, etc. So I also got a little complacent and like wouldn't put enough effort. In fact, in, in my 10th grade, we um, homeschooled because mm -hmm. the principal of my school said that she's wasting a lot of time in school. I feel like she can put more hours in music, Really, which is an excellent thought in itself. But me being a very social kid and like I, I loved going to school, meeting my friends and going mm -hmm. to school was like a joy for me. Mm -hmm. They asked me, of course, it was not like a decision that was forced on me. And I, and I thought it was cool because I met another girl who was homeschooling from her childhood. But in her case, since she's she'd never been in a school, she'd been homeschooling since like first grade, second grade. And she has been doing like Mandarin and photography and painting and violin. And apart from like, you know, her normal school subjects and stuff. Wow. So she really made use of all of her time. But it's easy when you're when you're in it from your childhood. But for a person who's been in school for 10 years of her life to suddenly be productive and like utilize, I don't know, 17 hours of her day in various things is not easy. Mm. I, I needed to go back to school. So I told them, I said, I want to join school again. When did your um, interest in history and archaeology start? It was, okay, this is going to sound very like cliche, but I, I watched uh, Indiana Jones when I was a kid. 
Nice. I've never seen that movie. Oh, you haven't? Oh my God. It, they're, no. they're the best. Like, they're so like, now, now when I look back at it, it's very childish. Uh-huh. But back then, I, I, it was really like um, fantastical for me and I really wanted to go, go into it. But actually in 11th grade and 12th grade, when I was studying proper history, I took up uh, uh, humanities in my high school. So I had history, sociology, psychology, math and English. I remember being really fascinated. And one of my friends, my brother's friends were studying archaeological. She was doing her master's and there was a dig right about an hour from my house of the Harappan civilization in Haryana, Rakhi Gadi or no something. Way. Wow. So she took me to that because she knew I liked it. And I spent a day on their site watching them do that. And that really fascinated me. What was it like? It was amazing. Like I really, if, if wow. not for music, I would probably, I would have definitely been doing that. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So history was always like a favorite subject for me. Mm-hmm. The reason I, I, I made that decision about music was also because uh, I changed schools as well, right? After homeschooling. Mm-hmm. My identity started being noticed as Madhura, a singer. Like in school, I'd constantly be taken for bands and, you know, I'd be performing in school. Wow. I feel like that's when Madhura and music became like synonymous. That's a lot of self-reflection and contemplation. I rest my case with regards to ageism. <laughs> I personally happen to know of musicians in the 30s, 40s, 50s even, who still haven't actually recognized the significance of the identity they attach to their practice as a musician. When did you realize this phenomena mm. actually happening and the role it plays in your life? That's a big one. So it was a mixed realization. How old are you here? Again, I'm being like super contradictory by asking your age. That's okay. Uh, I think I'd be ninth grade, 13, 14. Wow, that, that is an extremely sensitive Oh no, 15. Age. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 15. 15 but, but even that, so you're uh, essentially an adolescent. Uh, yes. I mean, with your permission, here here's an observation. You're mm-hmm. referring to your actions for lack of a better, a better term mm-hmm. you almost again for lack of a better term uh, judging them like you were an adult <laughs> is that something you're aware of you were just 14 i mean you were a kid <laughs> that's what kids do it's yeah but it's also that i was that kid right so to to to, to separate myself i mean i get it i have I'm not judging myself as harshly as I used to. That's something I can definitely say now. I'm happy to hear that. It's also interesting, isn't it? A lot of times, especially at a, in our formative years, the things we tend to try and hide or quote unquote lie about mm-hmm. are actually the things that really define us in a good way and the exactly. things we're actually supposed to be proud of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was that. And then I joined Kalakshetra. Yeah, let's unpack our Kalakshetra. I couldn't help but notice uh, that there was clearly a culture shock involved. And mm. uh, you clearly, uh, from I mean, I shouldn't be quick to make blanket statements, but you clearly grew up in a very broad-minded uh, people of the world kind of a yes, household. Yes, Right, and super intelligent academic folks in your family and all that. And all of a sudden you're in this extremely conservative Con- conservatory, conservative, conservatory, uh, where you have to wear saris every day. Now, personally, I think saris are gorgeous, by the way. I agree. I agree. But it's, uh, that's actually a shift. That is a It's a huge shift. shift to, exactly. 
to, so, to be uh, forced to wear that or just not being given the choice to and what you're yeah. wearing. Do you remember your first, you actually did refer to your first response, but how did that feel like fitting into that lifestyle where you have to play a bit of a role of the quintessential quote-unquote Indian woman? <laughs> I feel like the way of the world and the ideology that 18-year-old Mazura had was to be real and to be herself, right? Because that worked for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment she landed in Kalakshetra, that just did not work for her because being myself mm. would mean being somebody who is um, 180 degrees opposite to every single person that was in that institution. Interesting. It's almost like your decisions being tested immediately. Exactly. So um, the sari part, so every time I talk about the sari, people are just like, is that the only thing that bothered you? Like sari wasn't even the least of my worries. Like I, I was, you, it's, it's like what you have to wear to school. This is a uniform here. And mm-hmm. I really liked wearing saris as well. So I was okay with it. Um, thankfully, I picked my battles. Because if I would have battled, st- starting from the sari, I would have probably hated every second of my life in those four years. And that mm-hmm. was going to come later anyway. So <laughs> I made peace with the sari mm-hmm. part of it and the traditional part of it really quickly. Mm-hmm. The the MO of the university is that it's a traditional place where everyone wears saris and everybody sits on the ground and learns music and um, there's right. prayer in the mind. That's that's the kind of vibe that they're going for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But where things started getting really tough was I remember I walked in with a with a pixie cut like a boy cut, and that itself was like really looked down upon because they have this huge thing about middle partitioning and and plaiting your hair and not having short hair, etc., etc. Oh. So, oh yeah. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold on a second. Um, <laughs> I love this. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to unpack what what that means. Uh, so, so apart from you, saris, they have this yeah. sort of traditional look that every student had to follow: musician, dancer, and the artist, like the visual arts students. Which was oh. you had to wear saris. So visual arts students could wear um, like Indian, like kurtas and all but music the singers the musicians and the dancers had to wear saris had to middle partition their hair had to compulsorily so if you had long hair and you could plait your hair you had to plait it and if you had short hair middle partition and a ponytail and i was like pretty much the only person ever in the history of that college to have joined with a boycott okay just to clarify this yes. is a college specifies uh, the length of your hair not length of your hair but the partition for sure so depending so if you have long enough hair and you can part it you have to do a middle partition you have to plait it you can't do make buns uh, do they specify hair products as well were there specific hair products you were only allowed to use oh if they could I, I bet they would have because they definitely did specify junkies of a certain length and bangles were compulsory and bindi What's was compulsory. Junkies, um, earrings, like those long um, right, Indian okay. earrings which you wear with Indian dresses. Oh, I love those. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, personally, I love everything about this, but being forced yeah, to do sure, it on a sure. daily basis is what really got to me after Oh, yeah, point. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, sure. Just to clarify, just from out, I, I love saris. I love Indian jewelry. Love oh, it all. Love it. Yeah, yeah. But, but isn't that a little disturbing? That's that's quite, quite a blatant intrusion on someone's personal space. Oh, it's heavily disturbing if, if we were, if we didn't wear earrings one day, 
then we'd be like pulled out and you know like given a given a hearing and wow. if we didn't wear a necklace like for example for me the chennai weather really got to me because of the humidity mm-hmm. i would get like rashes on my neck if i would wear um, a necklace Dang. and i was practically in the heat like all the afternoon right we we had classes from 8 till 4 wow yeah so i after a point i stopped wearing a necklace um and that that was a huge discuss like a point of contention for like all my seniors and it was a college which which for some reason supported the seniors who by the way have been through the same shit that you're going through in in your first year mm. have a free reign and can and and can like you know rag you and bully you where however they want right so this is the kind of institution that it was in my first two in my in all, all my four years and it got worse um after my third year cuz third year is when i went to berkeley there we got there we got there finally yeah after i went to berkeley and i came back that's where i met ar rahman mm-hmm. that's how he met me remembered me and once we came back to chennai he reached out to me a couple of months later for this song i want to pay proper tribute to that chapter of the story yes i'm also curious about okay here you are okay let's do a quick rewind you're you know you come from the super broad-minded academic intelligent family right. and um have this natural affinity and talent for singing it's like you were kind of born to sing uh which your parents support mm-hmm. and then in your best interest decide that a good decision would be to put you in the super prestigious institute who uh, apparently have some some skeletons in their closet yes I'll yeah just keep it at that shortly after you go to berkeley that's quite a contrast like from right a conservative south indian uh, and i say south indian specifically because south india is a different culture to north mm-hmm, india for mm-hmm. a lot of my audiences who don't know about this and then you're in berkeley which is like in a, in a lot of ways and just to clarify i'm not the biggest fan of berkeley but it is is a representation of a very new chapter in music history true i was still in kalakshetra by the way when i did go to berkeley i, I just took a uh, two months break because i was uh, i only applied for a summer program to berkeley okay oh this is going to be interesting have you ever asked yourself if you need a mentor because i'm pretty sure everyone including me does if you struggle to navigate the nuances of your personal artistic goals with the lifestyle of a professional artist you're not alone the amount of self doubt and rejection we deal with in a day is often more than what other professions are confronted with in years i've been there so i know well you're starting out on your artistic journey seeking growth or just looking to deepen your artistic practice mentorship can be the key that unlocks those doors to your potential i've witnessed the transformative impact of mentorship firsthand on my own artistic journey my mentors have completely changed my life and it's time for me to return the gesture i combine my 20 plus years experience as a professional performing artist and educator with my more recent explorations as a certified personal trainer and psychotherapist to offer fellow artists what i call 360 degree mentorship not just music lessons but healthy approaches to artist development self-care resilience and clarity in mindsets relationship building and unpacking limited beliefs to clear up those myths and get the kind of reality check that will shock you with revelations on how much more you're capable of my mentorship methodologies are designed to give you the tools guidance and support to define success on your own terms but don't take my word for it 
Go check out www.holisticmusicianacademy.com and read through what the artists have been working with have to say. For those of you who are not ready to invest in one-on-one mentorship just yet, I've been working on a masterclass that gives you exactly the kind of grounded overview you need to understand the solutions to building an artistic career and practice. It's based on years of research with my students and clients and the grapples they have dealt with and found solutions to. What's more, you can pre-enroll for this course today by securing your spot now. You will be among the first to benefit with lifelong access to this course with a 50% scholarship, no questions asked. Mentorship has the power to transform your journey. Invest in yourself. It's the one thing I promise you will not regret. Berkeley was was just what I expected it to be. I realized that there were other th- things in music that you can do. Uh, and not just mm-hmm. a performer like in Hindustani or Carnatic, but there was production and there was sing like you know songwriting and etc etc. There was a lot of things that were happening behind the scenes as well, like you know behind the screen um, in music. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, and um, with that realization, and after meeting Yar Rahman, I'd come back a very happy person. And um, I think 2019 is when I debuted, mm-hmm. and that's when like it started going to shit because I feel like they failed me in my fourth year for both semesters in my vocal exam. So if 40 was a passing mark, they gave me 39. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So it sounds like a blatant form of punishment with like no ground for you actually succeeding in your career. It was pretty much that. Wouldn't it be in their best interest if one of the students were doing well? That's what one would think. I'm trying to understand. So the thing is, there was a rule that um, as dancers, you couldn't dance or model or do acting gigs while you were still a student. For a music student as well, you can't go out and give your own shows. Was there a philosophy behind it? Did they have something to back it up or was it just a random rule? I mean, if you were to ask them, I'm sure they'd come up with something. But I guess it's just that while you're learning, you should not be out there performing as while you're still a student. So hierarchy, hierarchy and control. For sure. I think it's just that. Mm. So the song happened on its own. I didn't even know that it was going to get released. So after I recorded it, I think the song came out without my knowledge. I only got asked about it a day before. I got a call from the studio saying, what would you like your your name to come as for this song in the movie? Like, I didn't know it was approved until then. Oh, wow. So, and then it came out and then I spoke to the, the principal then and, you know, she was all up for it. And, and like my own teacher who used to pretty much shit on me in class would, would brag about me to his outside students saying, oh, she's so-and-so, she's my student in this thing. She's done uh, a song for Teya Rahman. Those are very mixed signals for a... Oh, yes, for sure. For a young um, debutante to deal with. It's hard enough to... Well, hard is not the wrong, but it's overwhelming enough to deal with the debut that massive, even when everyone's yeah. supporting you, and then to deal with <laughs> this. Yeah. That sounds pretty heavy duty. It, it was, and I think I took it... So I've never... Fa- I failed in like a, like a math paper or something back in school, maybe... And that really didn't sting, but failing in a vocal exam really did hurt because I'd given up on getting the highest or whatever because I was like, you know, their marking system is theirs. But I didn't think that they'd they'd go out of their way to fail me by one mark. Like all they had to do was just pass me. You know, if you're not going to give me the best marks, that's fine. Honestly, it sounds like psychological warfare. Oh, it was. My father flew down from Delhi to Chennai to speak to the director of the institute. 
and uh, she made him wait for about 2 hours and refused to meet him wow yeah that is so not cool did you graduate i did i did a lot of wow. people thought i'd i'd quit after that mm. and then when second semester came and then but that's when covid hit so we'd had to take the exams online mm. i noticed like a, a complete change in in my mental health and myself when i was not going to college you're referring to the the sense of safety you probably had in having access to education without being in an environment you were not comfortable exactly with. exactly i had gotten so stressed to a point where i had developed nodules in my fourth year oh shit i had to go on voice rest oh, oh yes i had to go on voice rest for a month for a few months mm. i was having anger issues because because i was on voice rest i couldn't speak out say what i wanted to say Mm. and uh, so a lot of people thought since i didn't give the kacheri paper the examination the concert paper that i'd quit but i i finished all the other exams i gave the re exams all the written papers and the re exam for vocal exam and i went in 2021 i think march and i gave my uh, concert paper excellently might i add it's up there on youtube for those who want to check it out Awesome. Um I did really well. Awesome. It was for myself. So a lot of people asked me to quit. They said why are you going through this? But um the one thing I told a lot of people and myself was when I feel like it from within from inside that I want to stop this, I will. But after coming this far, I'm not going to like I didn't want to stop it there. Yeah. Again, I'm not um looking down on the people who choose to quit early. That's completely their choice. Absolutely. But I just wasn't at that point yet. Mad respect. start of it and doing that and um, I can't remember when I said this I can't remember if I said this during the course of this conversation but um generally speaking yeah, quitting it sometimes quitting is the win it is the way to victory exactly uh, but i also completely resonate with this spirit of just yeah i'm not a quitter because i I'd, i'd gone through something similar i uh, i landed up with the piano teacher in my first three years in conservatory who uh yeah who had issues and basically spent the last two years of my studies with him telling me every week that I should quit and I'm not cut out for this uh, there, there there was some wow. psychological warfare there involved as well he wasn't mm-hmm. uh, to be fair uh it was a little more nuanced and a little more complex and not as blatant as what you're describing here and mm-hmm. uh, uh he also it was a it was a different it was a more complex form of abuse where he actually kind of did somewhere in his heart i think he also did kind of want to help me and it's 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 a very complex thing cuz i do owe him a lot like the bulk of my piano technique comes from mm. uh, uh what i learned from him but at mm-hmm. some point it was also just a power play and mm. yeah So and um yeah but I did finish that first diploma and um mm. I I paid for it too I, like in both senses out of the word both financially <laughs> and with my health uh it was it was a choice where a lot of people were telling me dude why are you doing this just quit it's not worth it but I'm very yeah. intimately familiar with that warrior spirit of saying no I'm not going to quit because you know that's just not 
not who I am. Exactly. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll die trying then quitting, uh, which is not, not something I recommend at all, by the way. I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. Again, like I said, people who choose to quit are, it's it's equally hard to make that decision as well. I mean, Absolutely. it's not easy to quit. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it boils down to options, choices. Uh, yes. And how we, uh, how we navigate those. But I think that the important thing i want to also make clear to my audience here is um, the takeaway here is this is not about just having a go at uh, an institution or uh, anyone randomly mm-hmm. it's about framing a very common experience that music students all over the world by the way i mean india does yes. have its case specific traits uh, but like, like the and this whole situation of basically putting up with abuse in different forms yeah just because you chose music as your calling um, it's way too common and it especially abuse by the hands of your teacher like exactly the people and music the one who's supposed to yeah music and this is the reason why i think um, it's a little different than certain other um, streams music is a very intimate space it is inherently reflective of intimacy you, you you know you kind of bear your soul yeah there's no hiding i always say it's like basically you're spiritually naked you know you strip and you're there and you're exposing yourself completely to whoever you're performing in front of yes and, and then the p pe- exactly the people who are supposed to teach you how to do that like literally <laughs> wound you while you're there exposed that's actually kind of fucking unforgivable yeah there is really no excuse for that. Needless to say, the the irony of it all is the people who do it are basically they're kind of carrying on a lineage of abuse they've probably gone through. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what is really sad because that's what they had meted out to them, and they're doing exactly that to you. It's textbook psychology. You know, you become your oppressor and you pass it on, which is why breaking that cycle is is really tough. It's it's a lot to contend with. It's it's a it's a big one. I mean, right now, I can guarantee you there'll be people listening to this who are like, how dare these people insult the teachers or, you know, this is, ah, uh, they're, they're, I mean, for sure. we've overstepped quite a few boundaries for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Keep going, sorry. Didn't want to hijack. No, I was even discussing this with another friend of mine who's also a fellow music teacher, like we both teach. Mm. And the one thing which he and I both did was exactly this like since he and i have both had different teachers over the years Mm. we've really picked the things we don't like we didn't like in that setting or we didn't like about those teachers and we made sure that as teachers we don't do the same yeah yeah it's a conscious choice and even to be like is it's easy to just say this and again you know because you we might be making new mistakes Mm. it doesn't have to be the same mistakes we're making but to be self-aware it's a process but i feel like it's really important to do that to reflect on the class to see how you've treated the student to see if absolutely you've made them feel like shit or not or have they felt safe and that is exactly what at the end of the day kind of defines the artist we go on to become because this trial by fire happening and you get to make a choice you uh yeah you get to make a choice okay i'm either gonna repeat the system I've been through uh, or I'm going to take my time in healing the shit I was put through and make sure I don't make those mistakes. I'm going to break this cycle or I'm going to enable it. Those are, at the end of the day, the choices exactly. you're left with. Um, you're back from Berkeley. Um, AR calls you. What happens then? 
Um, what happens then is I first performed with him at the Hockey World Cup. Wow. Yeah, that was my first, like, even before the song happened, that was the first thing I did. Wow. So I was only part of the chorus back then. Uh-huh. And that was, again, insanely fun to be performing in front of a stadium full of people. Were you nervous? Uh, not really. I think being part of the chorus and also I think being on stage is like my, I like being on stage. So It's your safe space. Yeah, like I was nervous in the sense that, okay, I want to do it well. Mm-hmm. But not the kind of nervous where I, where I don't want to do it, you know, mm. where I not where I don't want to be on stage or where I wanted to get over quickly. Mm. Um, it was not that kind of nervous. But um, but also I feel like being part of the chorus along with his other kids. There was two of his kids also who were part of it with me, mm-hmm. and they were friends because I'd I'd become friends with them back in Berkeley. Right. So um, that really helped. And after that is when this uh, Unakaga happened, the song that I debuted with. Even that was completely like, un- like I didn't expect it. Randomly, he, he called me one day, said that there's a song and then I had to try it. And I did try it. There was like three, four versions of the song that went over a few months. And then I forgot about it. And I obviously didn't ask them about it, what's happening with the song and stuff. Uh-huh. In fact, the first song that I recorded with him was with him. So my first recording experience ever was him recording me in, a, in his flat in Boston with me and another friend. And that was like an amazing experience again to, to use my voice and, and give life to it. Mm. That's a lot of fun because different people do it differently and they all have different ways of bringing out what they want from you. And I love being those different things for different people. But my voice is the same, but it's a different version coming out every time. And I really like that. Interesting. Do you remember uh, what it felt like to see the response when the song was out and the movie was out? Did you see your social media accounts explode and remember the way that made you feel? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> What's that I like? Had... <laughs> so also because I was like completely like a nobody, right? For the, for the, for the audience. Anonymous. So they really had to, anonymous. yeah, they yeah. really had to do like a deep dive into Facebook and Instagram and find me. And back then I had a private account and a public account. Uh-huh. I still do. Um, and they found my private and public and there was just like followers just coming and messages. And especially my Facebook, my Facebook really blew up. Like I had messenger messages coming, thousands of people and my family members as well. And, you know, people I'd never spoken to in a long time, mm. even now, like even now when random people, so people don't, put me and the song together. So if I were to go and tell someone that that song is by me, they know the song more than they know me, which is uh, natural. Uh-huh. And then the kind of response I see right now as well is, is really, it's really nice. I like that the song touched so many people and people were so affected and taken by that song. But it was, it was really crazy. I didn't know what to do. I was just It's a lot to handle for a 21 year old. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it was also, I feel like back then I was like, I, I, I've said this in the last podcast, but I never had the plan to be a playback singer or go down that road. Mm-hmm. After doing it, I'm sure I'd, I love it and I enjoy it. But I think I was always a little disillusioned by the whole the industry per se and the fame or whatever that comes with it. Like I always knew it's, It's temporary and you have your days and you don't have your days. So while it came, it was, 
it wasn't really overwhelming i just took it as it came you know every day it was fun it was just like another role i was playing mm. and it was fun and i think that's why it didn't get to my head but when it actually did get to my head was because back then i was constantly in it right uh-huh. so there was there was interviews happening or there were shows i was doing with sir or there was something or the other i was you know being called to the studio for just being around that process in general mm. i was there but after covid hit um it really slowed things down in that sense yeah it gave me time to work on my mental health for sure but i had plans of being a performer i had plans of making my own music and you know probably studying a little bit of a different music kind of music like that and music therapy was a plan which was there in 2020 but once this happened i completely sort of it changed everything up for me now my plans included okay i might have shows with him or you know i might get called for Uh, a, a song sometime or i have to be in chennai now for so and so and plans changed and i lost sight of what it was that i was originally wanting to do mm. and just this encompassed my entire world by at then you know yeah because once that happens everyone's asking you okay what's happening next what are you doing now who you go where are you going now etc 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 and i was supposed to come back in april of 2020 and you know start working here and work for sir and his i wanted to intern with him in panchadan his studio mm-hmm. and all of that was in the works but covid hit and it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed till i moved in november and and since then it's not happened it took a toll on me because now i had defined my entire career and life based on this which was never originally the plan but now it was mm. and now i felt lost because there were people coming and saying oh my god after unugaga what's your next thing what's happening next and that what's happening next really got to my head yeah because i felt like they all were looking down at me and they were all like oh she had such a big hit and you know now what is she doing with her life sort of a thing mm-hmm. something which didn't matter to me at all suddenly took the biggest part in my life like it was such a big chunk of my every day and i was struggling with that on a daily basis yeah just completely lost about my identity as 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 a musician as a singer that's a tough one and it yeah and it took me a while theoretically everything was in my head it was clear that you know okay that was it that was temporary or whatever it is you know your job is to work on yourself and your music and your career as a musician and things that are supposed to happen will happen because that didn't happen because you wanted it or you asked for it mm-hmm. things that are meant to happen in your life will happen and that's i'm a huge believer in that that whatever is written and whatever is supposed to come your way is going to come your way no matter what you do as long as you do the things you're supposed to be doing thanks for adding the last bit and whatever that is uh, that that's you that's for you to decide of course but whatever you think is your um, karma and what you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. you do that and things that are supposed to happen will come by and i knew this theoretically it was so hard for me to accept that in a practical sense and move on from this giant burden that i had created for myself it it came to a point where i was just out with it from my family i was just constantly fighting with them they were concerned because i just became quieter and quieter as a person i was living away from home i was using that i was just basically not in a very healthy health like mental health space mm-hmm. and um it came to a point where i just i felt like i mean you must have gotten an, a picture of how my parents are right like they're very open and there's always discussions happening and there's no force in my family mm-hmm. but it got to a point where i felt like i couldn't even talk to them about things anymore mm. and i had no one to talk to yeah that's a tough one 
and uh, yeah and i just had to like step away and that's when i heard about this thing called vipassana mm. which is a kind of a meditation sure i'd been hearing of it the whole of 2021 2022 i mean but i didn't want to go because i didn't think i'd be able to handle it handle 10 days of being with myself alone with nothing Mm. like no book no pen no phones nothing like i can't write it i can't read i can't do anything i could just be mom and stay but and which is why i was avoiding it for an entire year while my entire family was making you know going and coming uh, visiting the place and doing like a 10 day course and coming but it got to a point in december where i was just like i need this you know i don't know if the meditation will help or if my life will be fixed or whatever but i definitely do need to be able to learn to be alone with myself mm. with nothing so yeah. the worst the best that can happen from this 10 days is that i'll at least learn to do that even if i'm not like even if the course doesn't help me to say you know mm. that's the mindset i went with and the course did wonders i think also because i didn't go with any expectations i didn't expect it to cure me out of my misery or expected to alleviate me from whatever i was feeling um i was able to i was you know that those fresh pool which you keep out in the rain and the water falls into it i was that mm. i had i had not gone with any preconceived notions or misconceptions or anything and i was genuinely need like i wanted to listen to people and what they were telling me really made sense and i was able to put it to use and that's when things settled down that's when this theoretical concept that i had in my head i was able to put to use and put it in a practical sense of i mean i'm still obviously learning and still growing and still trying to figure it all out we all are exactly we all are but i feel like right now i'm better equipped i'm more aware of where i'm going what i'm doing and uh, i'm not escaping like i used to that was amazing that's great to hear for um, the, it feels weird saying this to you because you're actually still really young again <laughs> it's it's this conversation has been such a <laughs> difficult one to not to sound ageist in for me but for right. uh, but even at this point you're clearly way ahead of your years anyway you sound like an old soul but what would you say yeah. would is your advice to um, to them for people who are dealing with systemic forms of oppression the music education environment or uh, struggling to find their musical voice uh which is an ongoing journey anyway all our lives yes but especially in in, in the most tender formative years at the early 20s or straight out of school hmm. uh what would your words of advice be to them especially to um women um personally one thing that definitely helped me was was having such a strong support at home mm-hmm. uh in the sense that I knew for a fact whatever people would say in college or whatever rumors might get spread in college my and my mom said this to me I told her um, ma what if you know like this all comes out and I say if people start saying things like this mm-hmm. and she literally said she's like so if they say that they say that you know we believe you and you know that what they say isn't going to matter to us oh awesome and the moment she said exactly and the moment she said that like 99% of my burdens got taken away because i realized that all of my peers were worried about what their parents would say like if they were even if they were not out with a boy mm. if somebody were to say that they were out with a boy what will their parents say one would think being out with a boy is a bad thing it's exactly funny, isn't it? it's it, <laughs> 
it's it's interesting how the same people are on your case when you're not out with the boy later on in life. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. So stupid shit like that, you know, st- stuff like that. I knew. So that was when I I made it a point to to not lie to my parents about like where I am or what I'm doing or what I'm feeling. Not just about the trivial things like who I'm with or what I'm doing, but even generally like about life, about what I was feeling. Because I feel like the one the kind and this is this might might be true for most people and i realize it it might not be for most people as well this is just one part of it that i'm saying that um family is one thing that will try to support you so even if you are honest it that's a different struggle but i think that helped me because i was being so honest with them i didn't have to worry about that mm. but the second part of this might be where you really feel like there really is no one to talk to and that your family doesn't understand you and stuff like that yeah in that case or in general when you're dealing with stuff like this around you as a musician i i don't know if i'm the right person to be saying this because i've just been so privileged in in every single way i it's hard for me i, I don't want to sound like i'm taking it for granted like or just because i had all this because a lot of people don't have access to this mm. and it's tough for them and i can't just be like you know like be self aware or like talk about it because people can't talk about it you know at the end of the day it it's not that easy to to sit down and reflect at what you were doing but i feel like okay if i were to say this it's a it's a it's a tough journey it's a tough thing to do but i think the the practice of taking a step back and analyzing the situation in the sense that if you want to do something if you want to say something if you want to uh, pursue something whatever it is just taking a step back and thinking about it from a personal point of view like um how does this help me what do i like keeping aside the entire societal things and parents or what will they say or anything just for you and think of the pros and cons i think that will itself it's a good practice to have because that will build the practice of being a little more self aware because you're aware of your actions so distance and objectivity or at least aiming to be objective while taking a step back yes because it's very easy to to get lost in the in the in the whole thing where you're just trying to figure things out and everyone's points of view are just clashing against yours I feel like just taking a step back and seeing what it is that you want that's one part of it and secondly I'd also suggest to not run after like and this is going to sound cliched but like fame or like like I want to be the most famous person I want to have these many followers or I want to make this much money I feel like if you focus on just yourself and your craft and working on your craft and whatever it takes to work on your craft things will come on on its own because just a tiny thing i want to add to this i feel like i'm rambling not at all not at all believe me i have literally seen people and i've seen it for myself as well things just come for you when you least expect it things that are meant for you things that really work for you when you do what you're supposed to do and not with the end goal of fame or money because those are not really in your hands now are they yeah that's you're just relying on somebody else to come and give you an opportunity or somebody else to come and give you followers or whatever it is 
that'll come and go. Recognition is a side effect. Exactly, exactly. It's a side effect. Recognition, validation is a side effect and it's it's so tricky. It's so easy to think of that as the destination. It's one of the oldest ones in the book, just getting caught up. Yeah. In a cycle where you think recognition is your primary motivation. And most of us start off remembering that that's not the reason yeah, yeah. you want to do it. Most of us anyway, uh, shouldn't make a blanket statement, but it's it's easier said than done. Definitely. And primary reason being uh, there's such a dearth of information on what to actually do. Exactly. It's one thing to say, yeah, fame shouldn't be your, a motivator. Recognition shouldn't be a, a motivator, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Finances are a gray zone, actually. I mean, um, that's a whole different conversation. I think finances should be a motivator, actually. Definitely. Finance should definitely be a motivator because you have to support yourself. Yes. A better term would be financial health is definitely Mm -hmm. something that should be. Yes. Um, kept uh, high on the priority list. Obscene wealth probably is not a good mo- motivator uh, uh, to, to be an artist. I think you, you summarized that really well. I, I tend to um, explain in like really long things what I can just finish off in two, three sentences, but I... That's not what it sounded like to me. It, it's actually not the easiest thing to summarize. Uh, yeah. Uh, especially um, from when it's uh, a personal perspective I asked for in the first place. So thank you. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's just it. I feel like as long as you're doing that, you're you're set. Sounds good. So where is Madhura headed to now? Are there any upcoming um, activities, musical activities you'd like our audiences to be kept abreast of? Or do you just want to work behind the scenes and do your thing for now? So um, there is a song that I, that I mentioned that I'm collaborating with a friend of mine. Uh, as a writer and I'll also be singing that song Mm -hmm. so that is in the works and I think that will be coming out um, a little sooner than my own works Mm -hmm. that is definitely something that you all can be looking out for nice and um, generally just um, what where I see myself in the next five years would be like a working music therapist with working with my kind of music that I've created and with my intention awesome yes It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I want to thank you for uh, trusting this platform enough to share a lot of sensitive episodes from your past. Episode is not the right word, excuse me, that totally came out wrong. But a lot of sensitive information. And um, No, thank you for having me. It's it's literally always a pleasure to talk to you because I find my thoughts really settled and and organized (laughs) when I'm speaking to you for some reason. So I feel... at peace and calm after talking to you. Ah, thanks. Yes. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate that. I will take that as a massive compliment. It is. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. Well, having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love. Talk soon. Just another voice.